Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. Well, 20 years ago this summer, I stood before a beautiful woman who was wearing white, and I said to her, I, Steve, take you, Peggy, to be my wedded wife. And then I made some promises to her. I said things like, I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, as long as we both shall live. Now, those were some pretty important words that I spoke in my life. With those words, I entered into a marriage relationship. I promised that I would love and cherish Peggy for as long as I live, no matter what. And incredibly, she actually agreed to do the same thing with me. Now, today, this relationship still defines who we are. It provides the foundation, the framework from which we make all of our decisions in our lives. Now, what kind of a relationship is a marriage relationship? What exactly did we actually enter into that day when we said our oaths to one another? Well, it's called a covenant relationship, and it provides us with a good model, a good framework for understanding the next part of God's story that we're going to be looking at together today as we continue this series that we started the first week of January called His Story, Our Story. Now, you're wondering what this is all about. Basically, it's about this. We want to start this year understanding that the Bible, God's story, isn't a series of unconnected events. It's one story. It's the story, and it's also our story. And so we've been looking at the big narrative arc of Scripture. And before last week, when we took a break to celebrate baptisms, which was an awesome day, we got to see the first two acts, so to speak, of God's story. Creation and fall. And so just as a bit of a review, we left off the story with the human race not off to a very good start. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, which is what we looked at, ate the forbidden fruit and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. In chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain murders his brother Abel. After that, people become so sinful and rebellious, God has to destroy the world with a flood. Then as human beings start populating the world again, they become defiant and rebellious once again. And all of this evil... All of it really culminates in Genesis chapter 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel where the human race in their pride decide they want to be like God. And if you were here two weeks ago, you remember when we talked about that part of the story, that's really the nature of sin, this desire we have to be our own gods. And so we read these words in Genesis 11 chapter 8. Really, it's the the saddest point of act two of God's story, in my opinion. It says, so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city, the city that they were going to reach up to the heavens. The word I want you to notice is the word scattered. Because as we learn in act one of God's story of creation, that was never God's intention. That human beings would be scattered from him and from one another? No, he created us in the beginning to be an intimate relationship with him, first and foremost, but also with one another. But the result of sin is brokenness in these relationships. And if you're following on your notes, we saw in this part of the story that the result of the fall is the human race is scattered. This oneness, this connection that we were meant to have with God and with one another has been ruined. And so we were left asking this question two weeks ago. Is God done with us? 
Has he had enough? Would he leave us on our own? Has he given up hope of creating a kingdom here on earth where he would rule and reign and his people would joyfully surrender their lives to him and do life with him and with one another? If I was God, I would tell you right now, I'd have enough. These people just don't get it, but that's not our God. In fact, as we move into this next part of the story, Act 3, if you're following on your notes, though humans are scattered in Genesis 12, God initiates a plan to gather his people again. God initiates a plan to gather his people again, and he does it with the most surprising of people and in the most surprising of ways. So let me invite you to take your Bible, if you brought it with you, and turn it to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be just looking at three verses this morning, verses 1 through 3. If you didn't bring your own Bible, we always have Bibles underneath in the seats there, and you can find Genesis 12 on page 9 of those black Bibles. So let's see how God's story continues in Act 3. Now I want to say really quickly, Act 3, so to speak, really goes all the way to the end of Genesis. We're just looking at three verses this morning. There's no way I could cover it, but really Genesis 12 is the Genesis of Act 3, pun intended there, because it's where we're introduced to the person of Abraham. I got to say, with the exception of Jesus and maybe Moses and David, Abraham is the most important person in the Bible. One indication of this is the amount of space given to him, but more than that, I would just say to you, you cannot understand the Old Testament. You can't understand most of the New Testament unless you understand Abraham, because the history of redemption, God's story, begins with a call to him. Now, after an introduction like this, it may come as a shock to learn that the first thing to be said about Abraham is that there is nothing in Abraham himself that makes him special. In fact, this may surprise you, Abraham actually comes from a family of idol worshipers. And so if you picture Abraham always being this person of great faith, this is not where he started. Don't imagine him as a little boy singing psalms of praise to God, giving glory to God. No, no, no. He almost certainly worshipped the moon god named Herky with the rest of his family. Why is it important for us to understand that? Because it's crucial for our story which is part of the goal of this series, to understand God doesn't look down from heaven to look for people who have it all together and go, oh, how wonderful. Here's a person that I can work with. Here's a person that's cleaned up their act. Now I can call them into a relationship with me. That's not how God works, but it's a lie many of us believe. We say things like, well, I got to clean up my act first before I can consider myself worthy to be in a relationship with God. This is what I believed early in my life, but friends, that's not what God thinks. God says, I'm going to save this man Abraham. Not because he deserves it. Not because he's cleaned up his act. Not because he's made himself worthy. Simply because I'm choosing to do it. And so God sets his hand upon him and he initiates the plan of gathering the people of earth under his name once again. And that leads us to this incredibly important passage in God's story of Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. John Stott says about these verses, It may be truly said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of these verses. Wow, this must be significant. So let's look at God's words today to Abraham. Here's what they say. The Lord had said to Abram, Go to your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now read verse 3 on your notes out loud with me there. It says, 
And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now I want to break this down into two parts. Really there's two things going on here. God gives Abraham a call, and then God gives him a promise. So let's talk about his call first. Notice in verse 1 that the Lord calls Abraham to leave his country, his people, and his father's household, and go to the land that God would show him. He doesn't even tell him where that land is. No Google Maps here for Abraham. Now, how many of you have moved at least once in your life? Go ahead. I would say 99% of us in this room have probably moved once, probably five, ten times even. That'd be average in our society. People move all the time. It's not that big of a deal. But if you understand anything about the culture of this time, you have to understand this kind of thing just didn't happen. Nobody would simply get up and leave their country and their culture, and especially, especially their family. Families were the center of life. This is unheard of. And sometimes I think we fail to realize how demanding of a call this actually was for Abraham. If you're following on your notes, God calls Abraham to leave everything and follow him. God calls Abraham to leave everything and follow him. Now let's just pause here for a moment and read that again on your notes. Go ahead and read that. And you tell me if that sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like these words that Jesus would say to anybody who would come and follow him in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Still today, to follow God's call is a demanding step of trust. And sometimes it means we have to leave our old life behind, not even knowing where we're going. Friends, when did Jesus call you to be his disciple? Can you look at a time? Was it demanding? For me, it was when he showed me that I needed to stop relying on my good works to save me and to trust in his good work on the cross. Last week, if you were here, 39 people responded to Jesus' call in obedience to baptism. And it was awesome to hear how each of them were called personally. Each of them has a different story of how God called them to leave their old life behind and enter into a new life with them. God still calls us today. Notice, though, God doesn't just call Abraham. He then gives him some specific promises that if he steps out in faith, God would bless him. And it's really these promises that we need to focus on if we're to understand Act 3 of God's story and our story. So what are the promises? What is God committing himself to? In these verses, Abraham has promised three things. And I tell you this, if you can just remember these three things, you will have a much easier time understanding the entire Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament because it's a working out of these three promises. All of it's a working out of these three promises. The first thing God promises Abraham is a people. He says, people from your family are going to become a great nation. And we see this true throughout the Old Testament. God will often say to the people of Israel, I will be your God and you will be what? My people. The second thing God promises Abraham is a land. As we saw, Abraham's commanded to leave his homeland and go to a land that God would show him. We learn later where that land is. It's the land of Canaan. How do the Israelites refer to that land? As the promised land. What promise? 
Well, this promise right here. The third thing God promises is a blessing. Both he and his family after him will be blessed personally, but along with that, somehow, some way, the entire world is going to be blessed through this man. So if you're following on your notes, God promises Abraham a people, a land, and a blessing. A people, a land, and a blessing. Now, again, this is so important for us to understand God's story. So let's just say those three things out loud to make sure we've got it. What is God promising? He's promising a people, a land, and a blessing. Now, I'm going to focus on that third one today. And that word blessing, let's just be honest, it's become a bit of a cliche word in our culture today, hasn't it? We say it after somebody sneezes. But in the Bible, blessing has this beautiful meaning of being under God's favor, under God's protection, under God's care. The word curse, by contrast, we get this, right? It expresses God's judgment on those who rebel against his plans and purposes. Now, if you've ever read Genesis, and I know many of you did just this year because we've been reading through it as a church family, you realize how these promises actually work themselves out. You see clearly how God blesses Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph after him. And we see how those blessings overflow to people in their lives. For example, even though Abraham makes some foolish decisions when he decides to go to Egypt, where he lies about his wife, God continues to bless him, and he ultimately blesses Pharaoh as well. You think about the story of Jacob and how God blesses Laban because Jacob is a part of his family there. You think about Joseph, and even though he had some pretty extreme up and downs, God blessed Pharaoh as a result of Joseph being a part with him. Now, as great as those personal blessings were, what's more important for us to see in our family, in our story, is that in Genesis 11, we saw all the families of the earth have been scattered because of sin. But right here in Genesis 12, God promises, if you're following on your notes, that in Abraham, all the nations of earth will be blessed again. All the nations of the earth will be blessed again. So let's just remind ourselves of the story so far. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world and he said, it is good. In Genesis 3 through 11, Sin breaks the world apart, and it's no longer good. Act 3, Genesis 12, God comes on the scene and says, I'm going to restore what's broken. I read a story this week of two boys who were so bored, they started doing a jigsaw puzzle. Who does that anymore, right? And they couldn't figure it out until they looked at the picture, and it was a jigsaw puzzle of a court scene, and they realized that the king in this court scene was supposed to be in the center. And once they saw the picture and that the king was in the center, the puzzle began to come back together. Well, friends, that's what's going on here in Act 3. Sin has broken the world into a bunch of scattered pieces. But God is going to bring it back together where he is once again reigning and ruling as king in the center. So understand this part of the story. To understand, you have to see God is at work. If you're following, God is at work to reverse the curse from the fall. Though sin has brought brokenness like a puzzle, God is working to restore his original design, his original intention. The words we would use here is he is bringing his kingdom to bear once again on earth. And Abraham is the means through which this is going to happen. 
Now, Chuck's already mentioned some of the art that's been taking place in our church family. I love it. It's so cool. I hope you go and look at the gallery in the back. We can only pick one per week. But I want to show you the one that we have up here for this story this week. This is by Jane Fekus, who is a fifth grader. And I think we have it up on the screen as well, just if you can't see it. And here is Abraham receiving the promise. But here's what she said about this picture and why she painted it. She said, when I think about this story, I think of Abraham looking into the stars and knowing that the nation God talks about is everyone. I also think about how later Abraham would have to sacrifice his son, but instead God sacrificed his son. Those stars are us, God's children. Here's a fifth grader who gets it. She gets what's going on here in Genesis chapter 12. I'm not sure what Abraham was thinking at this point, but I think he can do the math. He probably understands. I'm not going to see this fulfilled during my lifetime. And certainly he's got to be wondering how in the world God is actually going to do this. After all, he's 75 years old in Genesis 12. And he's married to a woman who is unable to have children. And yet this is God's promise to him. That through Abraham, all of the families of the earth will once again be gathered and blessed under God's name. And so in one of the most amazing responses in all of scripture, we see these words in Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. It's easy to skip that over. But just remember how demanding of a call that is. He went. And he did what the Lord told him. He believed God's word and he obeyed. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He obeyed and went, and the rest is history. Literally, it's our history. It's our story. Now, before we move on and talk about how this story impacts our story today, I think I need to say a couple more incredibly important things that are crucial to understanding the story. Three chapters later in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham again, and this time, if you're following, he enters into a covenant with him, and a covenant is one of the most important concepts of the Bible we need to know. It simply means a binding commitment. God enters into a covenant or a binding commitment. So important is this word covenant that it's actually used to describe the two parts of the Bible we have. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and testament is just another word for covenant. The word covenant appears 285 times in the Old Testament and 33 times in the New Testament. And it's always talking about a time in history, real life history, when God made a commitment to his people. When God entered into a binding commitment with his people. Interestingly, sometimes these promises, these commitments are one-sided where God will say, I'm going to act unconditionally no matter how you act. But other times in these covenants, He asks people to make their own promises or commitments to him. These covenants are always sealed in blood. If you want to read a weird story, read Genesis 15. One of the weirdest stories in the Bible where Abraham enters into a covenant with God. And covenants are always given with a sign. As I said, it's so important for us to understand God's story, to understand covenants. That's why on the back of your notes, I included several of the important covenants that take place in God's story. And as the story continues, we're definitely going to be looking at some of these in more detail. But for our purposes this morning, the main thing I want you to see is that the covenant God enters into with Abraham is unconditional. It's unconditional. 
God is going to fulfill this promise regardless. This is further evidenced in Genesis 17 when Abraham is now 99 years old, still without a son. God comes to him and reaffirms his covenant and then gives him a sign that it will happen. He gives them the sign of circumcision. Abraham is to circumcise every male Israelite child. Why? Because they're to mark their bodies in a way that signifies their special relationship between God and his people. How do we do that in a marriage covenant? What's the sign we give? This thing right here, right? A ring. We exchange rings. The ring is worn as a sign and a reminder of what? Of a covenant that I've entered into. Now, wearing this ring doesn't automatically mean I fulfill all the obligations of marriage, to be loving and faithful and to care for my wife, but what it does is it reminds me, it identifies me as a person who is in a marriage covenant. In a similar way, circumcision in itself didn't save these people. It was to serve as a sign, as a reminder that they are under this covenant. It's an identity marker. As I mentioned on the back of the notes, in the new covenant that Jesus made with his blood that we're going to be celebrating here as we take communion in a little while, what is the sign we're given? It's baptism. It's the sign of baptism. And as Jeff said last week, baptism in itself doesn't save a person. What does it do then? Baptism marks a person as being under the new covenant. This is why we take it seriously and we ask every person who's been baptized here those three questions, right? It's kind of like entering into an oath. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you received him as your personal Savior from sin and death? And then that really tough one, are you willing to let him be the Lord of your life each day from now on? Yes. 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 Well, then we mark you as being under the new covenant in his blood. Now back to Abraham. It must have been hard for him to believe that all of this would take place. And unfortunately, there are times when he decides to put matters into his own hands. But ultimately, he does trust God. And we read these incredibly important words to God's covenant in Genesis 15, 6 that I have on your notes. Can we read these out loud together? This is Abraham. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Wow. What did Abraham do to deserve this covenant relationship? Did he clean up his act? Did he do some amazing good works? No, he simply believed the promise. He had faith that God would fulfill this covenant. And my friends, this is still how we enter into a covenant with God today. It's by faith. What am I talking about? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and we're going to skip ahead into God's story. And I'm going to invite you to turn to Galatians, which is in the New Testament, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. You can find it on page 811 on those black Bibles there. Because Paul is going to unpack this promise. Why do I want to do this? Because I want you to see how this connects to your story still today. So Paul is writing this letter to Galatians, and we have to understand why he's writing it. There's some people who have come into this church of Galatia who are teaching a different gospel than the gospel that Paul had been teaching. They had been teaching the people in this church that faith in itself was not enough to mark a person as under the new covenant. They had to add works. 
Specifically, they were told that you needed to be circumcised before you could really be saved by Jesus. And so Paul gets furious about this, and he's writing this letter to the, to the Galatians, and he's vehemently opposing this teaching, arguing that justification, or how we're made right with God, isn't by works plus faith. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's faith in Jesus plus nothing. So how does he argue this? This is so cool. He goes back to Abraham and Abraham's response to God's promise. Look at Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. This should sound very familiar to you. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, make right, the Gentiles. Who are they? Anybody who's not Jewish? That's pretty much all of us here. By faith. And announced the what? Gospel in advance to Abraham. What's the gospel? All nations will be blessed through you. That's our verse. Genesis 12, verse 3. Then he applies it in verse 9. So... Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How do we receive the promise of the gospel? The same way Abraham received it, by faith. Notice Paul's language here, if you're on your notes. God's promise to Abraham is the gospel. When you're reading Genesis 12, 3, you're reading the promise of the gospel. 4,000 years before Jesus And two important things about this gospel are it is an invitation of grace to all people who receive it by faith. Just like he did with Abraham, God approaches us in grace. Because we deserve it? Because we've cleaned up our act enough? No. Just because that's who God is. And like Abraham... We can only receive his grace, that blessing he wants to give us through faith. Friends, I'll just pause here. This is a critical moment in the story. Because it's a critical moment in your story. If you want God's story to be your story. Because like Abraham, the only way to have his story be your story is by believing in the promises of God. By having faith in him. Faith in Jesus, who is ultimately Abraham's seed, his son. The one who is the fulfillment of Genesis 12, where all the nations of the earth are going to be gathered into his family once again. Where he will set up a kingdom where he rules and reigns and his people joyfully surrender and submit to him. What has been broken in the fall has been redeemed in Christ. The jigsaw puzzle. The jigsaw puzzle has finally been back together. To put it as simply as I can, for those who receive the gospel of Jesus the way Abraham did, you now become a part of Abraham's family tree. We talked about this a couple years ago. In fact, all of us who were here in the room that day, we actually came up on stage and we put our names on Abraham's family tree. Here was a picture of what happened that day. This is what God had in mind 4,000 years ago when he called this man Abraham that one day you, yes you, could be a part of God's story. If you're on your notes, though once scattered, in Jesus we're welcomed as family again. 
Though once scattered in Jesus, we're welcomed as family again. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3.14, which I have on your notes there. It says, read it with me. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God's promise to Abraham can be your promise still today. It's the promise of the gospel. Good news for all people. Now the question remaining for us this morning is what are we going to do with this promise? I hope more than anything you've heard that even way back in Genesis 12, what was God thinking about? You and me to be a part of his family again. This is God's intention from the beginning of creation. And even though we walk away, Even though we want to be our own God, he initiated a plan to bring us back. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And it can belong to you if you respond to him the same way that Abraham did. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're given the clearest definition of how this works. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? And this is not from yourselves. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't work for it. You didn't clean up your act enough for it. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation and all the blessings that entails, right? God's protection, his care, his goodness, his kindness comes when God calls us. Not because we have made ourselves worthy, because that's the kind of God he is. He is a God of grace and love and invitation. We simply respond to it just like we would as a gift. We receive it. We put him back in the center of the puzzle. And so let me ask you, and we'll probably ask something similar to this every week because it is the story. Have you, by faith, received God's invitation into his family? By faith, have I received God's invitation into his family? If you have, then I want you to hear the promise Paul finishes with in Galatians 3, verse 29 on on the screen here. Look up. This is for you. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Just like I became a part of Peggy's family, and she became a part of my family when we shared our oaths together on that day, so when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of God's family. Now, we can't end the message here. As wonderful and amazing as it is that we're invited into Abraham's family through faith in Christ, the Bible is very clear about one more thing. God blesses us Why? So that we can just enjoy a good life? So that we can get our ticket punched to heaven one day? Why does God invite us back into his family? Why does God bless us? So that we can be a blessing to others. Same thing Abraham was to do. From the beginning of God's promise, we are called to be a missionary people. People who are on mission with God. This was God's vision for Israel. It's now God's vision for the church. If you're on your notes, we are now called to be a channel of blessing to others. You have been invited into his family, yes, to enjoy the blessings he wants to give, but also to be a blessing to others. The covenant God made with Abraham and his family means that we are now to be agents of that same covenant. It's through us that the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16, which is on your notes. Would you read that out loud with me? It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you 
wake up every morning thinking, I'm a missionary. I mean, we think of missionaries who are people in some far off country. They're the real faithful ones. No, no. All of us who are a part of God's family are to be on mission. Mission in my workplace. Mission in my school. Mission in my neighborhood. Mission in my house. Mission at the gym. You name it. We are called to be on mission with God. Sadly, I think when we think about the gospel so often, this is the picture I have of what happens. Like I'm a bucket. And I've received the gospel. I'm a part of the tree. I have all of God's blessings now on me. I'm overflowing. It's awesome. Good news. But really, the call is more like this. I've been blessed to be a blessing. I've been blessed to be an agent of grace, to be on mission with God, to, for God to fulfill his intention and his purpose that all nations on the earth would come into his family. And so you're like, wow, I don't even know what to think about here. Well, here's all I'll say is, who's on your path every single day? Who has God put in your life every single day? And can you answer this question as we close? As an agent of grace, am I extending God's invitation to others? This could be through a word of encouragement, through prayer, through a meal. Who knows? But are you blessing others because of the way you've been blessed? I'll just say this as we're going to move along in God's story. We're going to talk a lot more about this, so get ready. But at least for today, during our time of reflection during communion, as we prepare for that, let's just consider that. Who on my everyday life, who on my path of everyday life could I potentially be an agent of grace for? You're not meant to be a bucket. You're meant to be a pipe. Let's pray. Lord, it's beyond amazing that you were thinking about us 4,000 years ago. That though it is in our nature to walk away from you, to take your throne, it is in your nature to call us back. Though we were scattered, you have now gathered us to be a part of your family. And you did that through the person of Jesus, who we remember now as we take communion. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.